0: So before we get to today's episode, we want to do a little disclaimer because we, we had on, we did a Halloween episode with the author, Matt Swain, who wrote the book haunted rock and roll, uh, the ghostly tales of musical legends, um, and more haunted rock and roll. There's a sequel. Um, but it was weird because when we, when we first start, everything was cool. And then when we first started, um, we got a lot of phone interference yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah, which right. which we're always, you know, you're used to when someone's calling in. Yeah. But it, it kept dropping. Uh, I remember years ago there was a, an episode of, um, what was the name of that show?
1: I Love Lucy. No, no, no,
0: no. <laughs> My, everyone I, hates Raymond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> there's an episode of Art Bell and there's a guy that called in. You know, he was talking about aliens or some shit and then the, the phone went dead and we had that twice on here His, his phone went just completely dead. Yeah, um, and it might just be typical cell phone stuff but right. we did call him back to let him know. Hey, we had some phone problems and he had this to say
2: Every time I talk about Robert Johnson, there's interference um, and I was with Richard Serrett who Has a had a podcast on on rock and roll and the supernatural yeah, and as soon as I started talking about Rob, we started talking about Robert Johnson. It started to like hiss and scratch, and I had to re-record it what I said in that point. Um, and then I was on with him on Coast to Coast, and we just started talking about Robert Johnson, and the whole network went dead. Wow! And it seemed like as soon as I started talking about Robert Johnson, it started to act up like on on my phone that's so so crazy
1: because that's exactly when it started i think we had it clear and then and then that was going on but um that's so interesting i was gonna say that i mean i felt like anytime we were talking about something you know seemed to have a little bit of interference but
2: yeah yeah that's a that's a absolutely true story and um richard would back me up on that wow
1: yeah i mean we we've experienced it here today so
0: so make of that what you will I mean, it's just from where where we were sitting and recording, it it seemed just off. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Anyway, this is our Halloween episode, all about ghosts, ghouls, and guitars. Anything from you, Ike?
3: Oh man, um, I, I think it's a great episode. Enjoy it. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, he had a lot of great points, and I loved when he started talking about. Just check out the episode. You're going to enjoy it. Listen in. It's going to be really cool.
1: Three, two
2: and now on with the show did you ever
0: It is Halloween, as you can tell by the intro music. It's a little bit different this week. Yeah, I love it. It is Halloween week. We have a very special show today. Um, why don't you tell them about it, Damien?
1: Well, I will leave the honors <laughs> to you on that one, actually. Um, I was I was still doing my sound effects, and I wanted to grab my drink. So so I'll let <laughs> you do that. That
0: oh. was great. Yeah, that was really good, dude. So we have the author, um, Matt Swain today, or Matthew Swain. He, he wrote uh, the book haunted rock and roll that the ghostly tales of music legends and it's you know obviously when it comes to the music and rock and or i'm sorry music and ghosts it's a pretty perfect tie-in with the whole club of 27 and you know going back to the robert johnson days i kind of think that's where the, all the mythology started and there's been tons of things that you know ghostly presence you know probably rivals old hollywood for stories yeah. So he he put together a bunch of stories. You know the books cover. You know, Michael Jackson and Zeppelin, the Beatles, and oh, I think that's him calling. He's in. calling
1: in right now. Woo! See how much better that was when you did it. Hello,
2: hello. Hey, it's Matt Swink. I'm calling in.
0: Hey Matt, how are you? This is Tim
2: and Damien. Hey, in there? How's
0: we, going, Ike? Here? Yeah, we also have Ike. He, he's away today, so he's on the phone as well. So
1: technology is awesome.
0: Yeah. But welcome to our Halloween edition of the Full-On Church of Rock and Roll podcast. I really appreciate you joining us.
2: I'm really thrilled to be on.
0: So th- this book, f- for me, um, <clears throat> The Haunted Rock and Roll Ghostly Tales of Music Legends, it, it, it struck a chord because growing up, obviously, I'm a, I'm a child of rock and roll and also horror movies and horror. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself growing up. Like, were, were you into music first? Were you into horror movies? Like
2: yeah so i was actually born on halloween nice that's awesome
0: (laughs) that's so epic i'm so jealous
2: (laughs) so that kind of shaped uh me quite a bit uh growing up so i was always interested in you know horror movies and tales of the cult and the supernatural comic books you know kind of the an essential nerd (laughs) um and and then later uh i got into music i would say with uh, early on with with um, uh, elvis and the beatles i think were initially who i was most interested in but then of course i got into the greatest Halloween band of all time kiss <laughs> and so that's how i kind of at least had an interest in uh, ghost lore and and uh and then, sort of mixing it with uh, rock and roll came a little later. Um, what What happened for me was I was a newspaper writer for, uh, a, a, for my hometown, uh, Tyrone, Pennsylvania, and you know, being born on Halloween, I had this sort of uh, uh, a, a legend you know, I, I kinda I had this I really wanted to hold up the, the legends of Halloween. So every every uh year I I'd come up with a uh, Halloween feature story and then one year I decided I would do some of the local ghost legends uh and ghost stories from that area and um create a um, um feature story about it. What happened was I couldn't come all you know, I could with just the ghost stories around my hometown. So I looked into uh ghost stories of universities, uh, mm-hmm. especially Penn State, which is really close to mine, uh, close to where I live. So I did that, yada yada yada, turned into uh I decided there were so many ghost stories about universities that I turned that into a book and then I, I uh book on for um uh a it was basically a book on ghost stories um, of all universities in the united states and then after i did that my editor said what 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 kind of book do you want to write now and i had just read take a walk on the dark side by art gary patterson now he approaches it more from the conspiracy side Mm -hmm. uh, things like uh, Paul McCartney being dead in the 60s. And he, he, but he's such a great writer and such a, a good uh, rock and roll historian that the first thing I blurted out was, I'm, I'm going to do a, a book on rock and roll ghosts. And, and Gary had a few of those in there, but not a lot. So I really didn't know whether there was enough material to do a book, but now I kind of screwed myself. So I put it out there and did a pitch on it. And they gave me a contract for it. So I just started investigating and I was just blown away mm-hmm. with the number of uh, rock and roll ghost stories out there. I, I, in fact, you know, I, I did two volumes and I probably really, I think I only scratched the surface of what's going on. So that's kind of the history of how I got to where.
0: Yeah, it's great. Like, I mean, I've talked on another podcast. I'm a child of the seventies, which I'm very excited yeah. or uh, happy to be. Um, And I think we were lucky you know, not only did we get the, 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 the drop, you know, the music from the generations before us, but I think it started with like Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein that led into the, mm-hmm. the monster craze in the 60s. And I got some of that in the 70s and everyone had their local horror host and everyone had their local ghost stories. So it was just a natural thing. And plus the Kiss thing and the Alice Cooper thing, you know, that all that all worked at the same time. We didn't have much to do then. So we had monster magazines and monster movies and rock and roll and comic books and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, that, you know, and I'm <clears throat> now I'm going to sound like an old man, but um, I think the thing that's missing now uh, with music, at least, you know, from my understanding, and I'm not certainly not an expert of hip hop and uh, rap or anything like that, but there seems to be a loss of that history uh, in Um, I think in the 70s, we really, it was a, it was a time when all of these, I mean, it was sometimes really bad music too, but it was a time when all of these influences sort of coalesced and like I could take, I could take um, Kiss and I could track Kiss back through the years to their influences, Mm -hmm. to Alice Cooper, to the Beatles, and the Beatles to Elvis and, and Elvis to, you know, uh, the blues artists. And and so there was a heritage. And what I found, really, um, the thing that uh, surprised me writing this book was, you know, initially, I just want to write a story with the best ghost stories, the creepiest ghost stories, the funniest ghost stories. I want to make it entertaining. I want the content to be interesting. But what happened was after I did that, I stepped back and I thought, there's something more going on here in these stories than just uh, tales of, you know, supernatural or rock stars haunting Mexican restaurants and things like that. There's, there's a really side story to this whole thing about the heritage of rock and roll and, and the power of music to move people. I think that's the story that, you know, I don't think, it, I don't know whether it comes out in the book or not, but it's certainly something I discovered through the research and through writing about it, and then really sitting down and talking to people like you about, you know, uh, I always say that I've moved away from trying to ex- explain whether one of the big questions that always comes up is, are these rock and roll story ghost stories true? And, and I think that's the wrong question. I, I think you have to ask, you know, what, what is the meaning of these stories? Why do we tell these stories? Why are they so, relevant and sticky Uh, this was my best-selling book and the attention that it got uh was kind of amazing for me um but i think there's there's a real reason of of why we tell these stories and, and why we can you know have enough material to write a book about
0: it yeah well rock and roll is steeped in it from the beginning because it started at the crossroads with robert johnson and i know you talk about that you know what i mean like when you have that as a starting point of course, yeah. it's, it's going to carry on. You know, I truly believe like when you go to the Haunted Mansion at Disney and you walk, and you you know, you, you're going out and those ghosts are on your shoulder. I truly feel that that spirits do that. Like yeah. they get on your shoulder. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. rock and roll has had ghosts on its and hauntings on its shoulders since the very beginning.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key facts about rock and roll is that it, it, it essentially is an outside art. Uh, If you look, and by that, I mean, if you look through its history, you see that people from outside of the mainstream tend to become the, you know, the rock icons. And you mentioned uh, Robert Johnson. I think he is the key figure in rock and roll. I think he's the key figure in haunted rock and roll. And his story is pretty well known. Um, he, He was a guitar player. And from the the most flattering description of his, uh, and he was in the the Mississippi Delta, which is home of the blues, and it is home to some of the greatest guitar players of all time, some of the greatest musicians. And the most complimentary thing I think anyone said about Robert Johnson's guitar playing was that he was okay. He was mediocre. Now, around these guitar legends, I'm sure it was difficult to be good in their eyes, but he tried very hard to become a, a blues musician. I think he saw that blues musicians had, um, you know, the most fun and they probably had the prettiest women. So he wanted to get into that. And, you know, you can, this is like history here because people like Sunhouse House talk about uh, Robert Johnson. And he, you know, historians interviewed Sunhouse House. And, you know, they said that he was just kind of an annoying kid, and at one point they got rid of... They, they basically threw him out of the circle of blues people. They they just picked on him, and, and I think at certain points they just they totally ignored him. And then he disappears for a year. And then, flash forward, almost exactly a year, he comes back... Uh, the, the, one of the... Coolest stories that I've I've heard of this account was that Sunhouse and some of the other blues players were at a juke joint, and and um, they went outside during a break to smoke cigarettes and have a you know have a drink, and and B.S. out there. And as they were out there talking, they heard this incredible sound, this music that was coming out of the juke joint. And they looked around. They're like, well, we're all out here, so wonder who it is. And some of the descriptions was it sounded like. Two people were playing this guitar. So they went in expecting to see a, 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 a guitar duo, and it was just one guy. Lo and behold, it's Robert Johnson, and he is playing this music, and he seems almost possessed when he's playing it. And in the spotlight of this juke joint, probably a bare ball, uh, light bulb shining down on him, apparently he had cataracts. And as he would look out in the audience, you would just see his eyes kind of glow. Hmm. And so it it doesn't take much uh, for these imaginative people. And it's, you know, of course, it's this legend um, in this area before that Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads. And the the essence of that story is you go to the the crossroads um, and you bring along a guitar. In this case, Robert Johnson brought along his guitar. And if you're there at midnight, this man in black will show up and it ain't Johnny cash. It's the devil. Uh -uh. And, uh, he he will uh, proffer you a a contract. And if you sign it, you give him your soul and then you get your desire fulfilled. And Robert Johnson's desire was to be the best uh, blues guitarist in the area. And for the next two and a half, three years, it ends up. That's what happened. He becomes a great blues player. Uh, you know, he is gets everything he wanted. He gets the wine and the women and the song. And then he dies a horrible, gruesome death um, that a lot of people say that that was the devil coming back on the contract to collect on the contract. So, incidentally, he dies at 27, according to, the to, you know, the historical records aren't exactly clear on this, but it sounds like he, he dies when he's around 27. So if you if you think about this, think about how this uh, has um, influenced rock and roll. First of all, you have twenty seven club, which yeah. is this propensity for rock and roll artists to die at twenty seven. But you also um, have uh, the crossroads. You have the crossroads blues curse. Crossroads blues is a is a song that Robert Johnson played, and apparently is cursed and musicians who have, have played it have ended up, you know, having bad luck, if not dying. So it's it's really interesting how what I, I say in the book is that rock and roll really starts with a good story, and, and yeah. that's the story of Robert Johnson.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And, and just to reference a 27 Club, you had Brian Jones, Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, uh, I think Kurt Cobain. Yeah. There's a couple of them, but yeah.
2: Um, yeah, it, yeah. And, and you know, you, you as you say, it goes the whole way to Kurt Cobain and, and Amy Winehouse. So it it stretches this twenty seven club um, stretches across uh, the entire span of of um, of rock and roll, rock and roll history.
0: Yeah. So And then you you then you have some people like obviously that's stuff you don't want to mess with. But then you have someone like Jimmy Page who went and bought the I think it's the Bolskin. Is it pronounced Bolskin? Bolskine? House, which was Alistair Crawley's house, um, like that's really taunting the devil at that point because that that's a pretty evil house. I mean, even way before Crawley had it, there was deaths in the nineteenth century in that house. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty crazy thing to go chase that.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the Bullskin house is uh, actually kind of one of my favorite um, stories in the book, and. You know, of course, it's uh, Jimmy Page. bought it and it has this, um, as you mentioned, it has a, a dark, dark history, pretty dark reputation. Um, and uh, it, it goes back to Alistair Crawley. And here's this is another kind of his name crops up quite a bit in not just this book, but in a, in a bunch of books that I write about. But, you know, if you think about Jimmy Page. um he was uh very influenced by the occult. And I try to make the point that they there's a very easy leap that a lot of people make that a cult means devil worshipper. And I don't think Jimmy Page was ever a devil worshiper per se. Um, but but basically when you look this this is kind of pre-Christian religion, you are looking at so the concept of Satan probably isn't exactly the same as what we have in Christianity. So to say he was a, a devil worshiper, I don't, I don't think is, is, uh, right. Um, but you know, he did, um, was really interested, almost an acolyte of, uh, Alistair Crowley. And Alistair Crowley, you know, he, he is from the uh, very early 20th century Victorian age And, you know, the Victorian age was very staid, very, you know, highly regimented. And and Alistair Crowley was definitely stood out because he was into the occult, wasn't afraid to say he was a devil worshiper. Uh, He uh, was um, a sexual libertine and all of that, quite a reputation. But um, Jimmy Page idolized this guy so much that he bought Bulliskin House and the Bullskin House, um, ha, as you mentioned, has this reputation. That, you know, one of the stories is that uh, a preacher—I think—I think it was a, there was a family killed or a, congreg- a church that was burned down by the preacher on the grounds, and it, and they said it was you know the an arson, and the the um, preacher actually set that fire. So that's one of the stories. But then you have all these other uh, crazy stories about, um, uh, how bought that house because he said it was the darkest house. Like not just reputation wise, but very, very physically dark. And yet somehow, you know, Jimmy Page, uh, is, uh, buys the house and then he kind of adds to the legend too. One of the stories he talks about is, um, uh, he, You know, one of the things is like when you talk about these rock and roll stories, people start saying, oh, well, they're all on drugs or drinking. And he tells these stories about uh, one of the stories uh, about Polskin House is that there was a decapitation in the house itself. And that if you if, if you're in there, if you're in the house at night, sometimes you can hear something rolling down the the hall. So anyways, uh Jimmy Page says, and this is an interview, Jimmy Page says uh that one of his friends who was straight, you know, didn't do drugs, wasn't drunk, uh stayed over at the house one night when he wasn't there. Only I mean, he was there and then the uh, uh the housekeeper, the, the guy who looks after the house.
0: Yeah, Malcolm Dent was the guy. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he was there
2: and he wakes up the next morning and he talks to the um the, the guy the, the groundskeeper and said hey can you keep the cats out of the the house uh i i i heard it rumbling around and the, them rumbling around in the hall they must have been fighting in the hall and the guy said well the cats were locked in another room so it wasn't that have you heard the story and then he proceeds to tell him the story so i think though the key part for me though was um, at the end of telling the story to this reporter i think for rolling Stone magazine um, he said to, uh, the, the reporter said, uh, so have you ever heard this sound of, uh, you know, head rolling down the hall and Jimmy Page said no and said, and so the reporter replies, okay, so you don't believe in all this paranormal stuff. And Jimmy Page said, I didn't say that. I just said, I didn't hear the head. Rolling down the hall. So I think that that's kind of Jimmy Page's way of making you wonder whether he didn't see or experience things himself there.
0: Yeah. I think that place actually burnt down. I was watching. There's a a YouTube mm-hmm. uh, thing that I watched called, uh, uh, I think it's called Obsolete Oddity or something. I don't know. This guy reads history stuff, and he had one on on the Boltskin House, and it was fascinating. Um, but but I think it burned down recently.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was a few years ago that it burned down, completely burned down. Um, so kind of a wild
0: wild way to end it for the Boluskin house yeah and then you you mentioned what what people call the day that the music died and you know i have a couple personal things that that i've experienced that dealt with the buddy holly um situation is you know i've been to the surf ballroom many times and to me that place there's just a feeling there and in the first time i felt it um i was on the road with this band anthrax and we were in surf ballroom and I didn't realize that was the place at the time, and it, I was like, "Man, this place just feels really weird." And it turned out to be the place, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's still something there. I, I know in your book, you, you know, there's no really reported hauntings, but there's something there that I felt. And then a few years later, I was at something called Nam, and I was standing there, and this this sweet older lady and an, and an older gentleman walked up to me, and they just they she grabbed me by both of my arms, and she said, "He's in you." And she looked at the older man, and he and she's like, "You see him, don't you?" And she's and he's like, "Yeah, I see him." And I was like, "Oh, what is going on?" It was Richie Valens' mom and and his brother. Wow. And it re- I don't really tell this story often, but it shook me, and it does to this day. They gave me like a, a pin afterward. And wow. And the the, the tears, yeah, the tears that were in her eye. I don't know what that meant. But mm-hmm. they saw they both saw it. they both walk. I mean, I saw these people walking to me from far away at Nam, which is a which is a musician's type of convention, convention thing. yeah. So you know, I saw them come beelining for me like they saw something. And I'm not saying I have the spirit of Richie Balance, but it's just that whole thing of, of that day with you know, and what happened and in the, the the coin toss and all of that, it's just it, that is another thing that really enhanced this thing of rock and roll and ghosts.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean that's a that's a that's a riveting story. And what I found in investigating these rock and roll stories, and I think your story is a, is right on target. Um, so most of the stuff you can you you get uh, most of the ghost stories that you find are really what I consider ghost lore. And you know, ghost lore is just folklore based on on ghosts and spirits. And there's, there's, two, there's two kind of paths to ghost lore. One is that there is one person who had a ghost story. And then, like, you tell me your story. And then I'll tell my wife. And it'll be a little different. And then from that point on, it'll be a little different. And it's like that game of telephone. So at the end, you have this kind of amalgamation of tales. And most of what I have in the books are those. Now, as I've written these books, I've come to understand there's another path that this takes. And it's when stories like you and me, and when we have these accounts, we kind of throw them into the mix. And then so what, like these ghost lores, in, in some cases, are hundreds of people are having these experiences. And, and, and I'll give you mine, I mean, uh, you know, I, I have a very high bar of what I consider supernatural. I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I've ever experienced a ghost per se. There have been moments in my life that have been unexplained, that I really don't know what I was experiencing. I can't, I have a hard time explaining it naturally. But as long as i can come up with a natural explanation i i consider it a natural explanation i'm just a little different in that but you know when i was in um memphis and nashville and i was at graceland and i was in sun studio you know i i don't know whether i've ever had a, a quote-unquote religious experience but that's as close as i can <laughs> yeah i mean if elvis came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder when I was in Sun Records, it would not surprising. I mean, his spirit was felt. I could feel it. Uh, and, and so there's, so perhaps this is one way that these rock and roll artists move us to such an extent that, that we're in connection spiritually, or maybe it's just like a mental thing. Like when you're in the surf ballroom, you can really feel the presence of Buddy Holly. And, and so there's a lot of different paths that these stories influence us and how we influence these stories. This this to me, rock and roll ghost stories, this is a cultural artifact that we contribute to. Everyone contributes. Every fan, every musician can contribute to this kind of cultural artifact that, you know, for me is important because this is a way that this
0: history and this music is going to live off. Mm-hmm. I I agree 100%. I mean, and that's, it's almost like a, a community in that way. And you, you hear the stories. I mean, even people, there's a great one of Brian Johnson from ACDC who is a no bullshit person. Right. And he and, right. he, and he tells of the story of Bon Scott's ghost visiting him while they were recording back in black. I mean, when, you know, when you hear that story and you know, some when I first heard, it, I'm like, he's just covering up for the fact that, you know, Malcolm and Angus took Bon Scott's lyric book and whatever the case is. But it's it's a riveting story because like that's a guy who has no no reason to lie about something like that. And when you I saw a video of him talking about it, you can really tell when someone saw or felt something. Yeah, I I uh, there were a few of
2: those Bon Scott stories that I uh, particularly interesting. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I've, I've actually talked to people who were close to Vaughn bon Scott um, who interviewed him and, and were friendly with him. And, you know, so you hear those stories. Uh, and I think with Brian Johnson, I think the, kind of the last person he would want to bring up exactly. is Vaughn bon Scott. right. I mean, he's, he's filling in some pretty big shoes there. And if, if anybody would probably want to tamp down those stories, I think it would be, even you know, out to say that, and, and, you know, there are some of the band members saying how different he, you know, there were, there were points where I think they were a little nervous about bond, uh, bringing in Brian Johnson. I mean, you know, deservedly that's a, that's a fair point that, that they weren't totally,
0: Matt, I think we have a ghost in our machine right now.
2: Playful spooks have interrupted our tools. Please remain seated in your doom buggy. We will proceed in just a moment.
0: Matt? Are you there? Yeah, maybe I was I just said maybe we have a ghost right now. And we're yeah. talking about something we shouldn't be, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's the ghost of Malcolm Young saying we did not steal those lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but they did. Um,
2: I, I don't know how much. How, how much did you catch at that?
0: No, we we got to the point where you are talking about you know people and like how Brian. That's the last person he would want to bring up, and then we kind of lost it.
2: Oh right, right, right. Uh, you know, so uh, you know, as I was saying, you know, I, I don't think he would lie about something like that. And the other thing that seems to come up quite a bit is just how the band re- saw how he changed after that incident, after he had an incident where. Later on, he kind of claimed that he felt like the spirit of Bon uh, Scott was pushing him on.
0: So. Yeah. Well, I mean, that band was his life's blood. You know what I mean? So that that only makes sense. And I and I do believe in in things like that. So when you're when you're going through these stories, like, how did you decide? There's so many great stories. Like, how did you decide which ones you were going to put in? Which ones you were going to follow? Did you find any that you're like, oh, this is complete? You know. Phoniness, I'm not going to put that in.
2: Yeah, there there are a lot of those. But so I just, one of, one of the things that happened to me is uh, when I was writing the book on university ghost stories, apparently what people do, you know, I'm fine with the ghost lore, but there's a lot of fake lore out there where mm-hmm. a person just completely makes up a story. Just you know, for goodness. Oh, reason, but when I did the university ghost story, I do think I picked up one of those that that wasn't really verified. So what I tried to do here was use uh, either blogs that have the reputation, websites, books, newspapers. I tried to get ones that had multiple accounts in it. So there were some that I am. Super intrigued about, but I didn't include in the book, in either one of the books. But there was one particularly uh, uh, Pete Townsend was playing a gig in Ohio. The Who were playing it in Ohio. And in this story, he swears that he saw Keith Boone in the audience or uh, at, at, the, at, at the top of the stadium steps. But I could never verify that not find that anywhere else through that reference so it could be that someone just made that up put it in a message board and in you know, some idiot but, but and there were several other ones that i thought boy, if i could just get it verified if someone just wrote it in a in a book that i could have a, a decent source so so those were that that was kind of my my standard H- having you know Again, I think the, the thing is, like, some people say, well, no story's true. It, when you work with these this ghost who are in folklore and ghost stories, you know, truth becomes not paramount to me, because for me, the story is, itself is important, whether it's made up, whether it's, um, it, you know, whether it's not made up, but, but whether it's actually happened or whether... You know, maybe it was natural phenomena that was misinterpreted all of those I don't really care about. I really want to think about you know this story the, the ramifications of it the impact of it, what people think about it uh, whether it's interesting all of those details were what really that's what was driving me throughout the book
0: yeah it's you know it's it, you mentioned the who because they had that great tragedy in, in 79 in Cincinnati. And yeah. I saw them three days after that. So they played Buffalo the next day. And then they had a day off Then I wow. played, I grew up in Cleveland. So they played the Richfield Coliseum. And again, I was little, like I was younger, but I still remember this weird, weird feeling. You know what I mean? Like, and I think a lot of mm-hmm. times, like you're not going to see something, but you're going to feel something. You know what I mean? Because we don't even understand our own intuition. We don't understand anything about how our bodies, our souls, our brains work. So I think sometimes you feel stuff more than you would actually see anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yeah, I I think that, that, yeah, that's right on. And I also believe, uh, after writing this, one of the things that I I came away with, um, so, you know, to give you a little idea of where I was at. So I I am writing this haunted rock and roll, and I'm like, wow, there's really something to this. Rock and roll is really special. Uh, What is it about rock and roll that makes it so special that it attracts such attention like spiritual attention supernatural attention and then i you know again i blurted out to my uh editor i want to do a book on country music ghosts not knowing that there would be any uh, i knew a couple but i found similarly throughout that uh that music that there are tons of ghost stories and stories that the occult and well supernatural in country music. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it, so it, it really changed my thinking now, because now I so, sort of believe that music itself is what I consider a tool for transcendence, that if you go back through history, music plays a role in almost every spiritual type of, of uh, every manifestation of spirituality, whether you go back to uh, Islam and chanting and or you go to the drums and indigenous tribes or you go into Bach uh, feuds, whatever. Music plays a key role. And I always tell people, just go online and and Google the history of Pentecostal uh, church services and you'll see pictures of these these um, worshipers pointing towards the preacher and the preacher pointing towards them and the look of, of almost bliss, ecstasy, and almost anguish combined on their faces, and then look at an Elvis Presley concert from the early day, mm-hmm. and you'll see the exact gesture. And it really brings the point to me where I used to consider there was secular music and spiritual music, and I no longer believe that, I no longer make that distinction. All music is spiritual. Yes. You know?
0: 100
2: it manifest itself, maybe spiritual, maybe secular. Um I don't want to go down that road, but but uh I really believe that there's just something spiritual about it. And I I think the reason these books did so well is because fans recognize it. Fans may have uh experienced like you have and like I have that connection with these artists. And so it doesn't actually shock them to to consider that that um rock and roll might ghosts might still be around you know these guys might still be hanging out Janice might be still hanging out
0: yeah that's, I mean that,
2: that's how I see it you,
0: you mentioned country music I mean I know for a fact from being there so many times that Kane's ballroom they they claim that you know <clears throat> the ghost of Hank Williams lays on that couch and obviously Bob Wills is everywhere in that building and has been been seen. so Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa Oklahoma, which is an amazing <laughs> venue.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's a lot like rock and roll. I, I think the difference would be that rock and, roll, rock and roll ghost stories tend tend to have a little bit more of an edge to it, a little more darker. There's there's not a lot of Alex McCauley stories uh, uh, around Loretta Lynn or, or Johnny Cash, but I do believe that Johnny Cash was one of the early ghost hunters. Hmm. Uh, so a lot of people don't know that, but he had a very... Uh, uh, profound interest in, in, uh, the supernatural, not just spirituality, but supernatural too. I'd say spiritualism. And, and, and so it, it's kind of fascinating.
0: Yeah. And you you also mentioned there's a, there's a building, um, which, which I like what you, like you mentioned again, the surf ballroom and, and you mentioned, uh, Eagles ballroom in Milwaukee, which I've, again, I've been there many times, but that's just, in, mm-hmm. it's in such a weird place because a, the Dahmer killings happened across the street. Oh, uh, the McDonald's out front is where, you know, they they actually basically found out where he was because that the, the little boy went and banged on the windows. I mean, all that stuff's still there. And then when you go inside, there's the underground pool. Like, that is a place that has so much energy. I'm not saying it's positive or negative. But there's just so much energy in that building. You know what I mean? You realize it was an old dance hall on the top in the past, and you just, regardless of who you're seeing now, there's such a history. And, and I just think those, I don't know if it's like, um, a spiritual uh, um, imprint that's placed on that on that venue, like other venues, but there's something special there too. Yeah, I mean, there's uh,
2: so the other thing is I'm not a ghost hunter or, or anything like that, but I do try to I did try to interview you know ghost hunters or people who have some type of more of a you know a like they documented the haunting and what you find is that some of these places they consider they have residual energy they call it. And so like the surf ballroom, what you might've been picking up was a residual energy and they might, these ghost hunters might also say like the rave Eagles club, which is in Milwaukee, uh, that supposedly buddy Holly haunts, that's residual. And then I didn't find on my, book I think what I followed in the second book that the crash site itself uh, of Buddy Holly's crash site uh, in Clear Lake Iowa that site itself is rumored to be haunted and you know some of the stories are that you can hear uh, if you go there on February 3rd which 1959 was the, the day the music died if you go there you can hear, the sound of, of metal scraping together, the mm. sound of a crash, sound of streams. Uh, and they, those ghost hunters would hear that, some type of residual ghost or residual spirit. Um, so, And then there are other stories when you have this kind of personal encounter. And one, one of the witnesses that I forget where I got this story, but he said he was there on February 3rd on, at Clear Lake. And... As he got to the memorial that they have for Buddy Holly, things started falling off kind of randomly from the the, uh, the little trinkets that people would, would oh. put on this monument, which he interpreted to be some sign that there was what would they would call an act upon.
0: Hmm. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it must have been. You know, it's funny because we, we talk about rock and roll with all this. And, you know, like we said, the ghost might be on their shoulders, but it, it could happen in sports, too. I mean, I think of the Kobe Bryant crash similar to the Buddy Holly crash.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a I I think that's a fair point.
0: Um, but but getting back to the, uh, the Buddy Holly thing, I, I mean, it's weird because, you know, you, you say that his ghost may haunt the venue in Milwaukee because they played there, but not the surf ballroom. You know, I always wonder, like, would ghosts be trapped? I always think they're trapped somewhere and they're not free. So, is it a place mm-hmm. that they they have good memories of, or are they tragic memories? Like, where where does that spirit, where does that loop get trapped? That's the way, you know what I mean. So,
2: yeah, yeah. There's there there are a lot of different theories on that. Um, you know, we could actually say, uh, besides like, if you have a personal connection. So, so, here, here, here's an example. Um, there's a there was a Mexican restaurant in in California, where um, the owners of the restaurant were getting complaints. Uh, particularly, they were coming from the bathroom of this Mexican restaurant, and they said the the uh, people who witnessed this uh, phenomenon said that they could hear. Uh, what sounded like breathing, in and out, in and out. It was almost like the room was moving in and out. And then uh, they heard it was like someone was trying to knock on the door, and the door was rattling. When they opened it up, there was nobody there. And so this, this, uh, the owners, I, and I don't think the restaurant's there anymore. These owners decided to have like some type of séance or try to get rid of the spirit. But the rumor that appeared right around there was that this was the ghost of Jim morse Wow. And they said that because that area where the bathroom was was probably where the vocal booth, this was actually uh, a restaurant that was once the headquarters of the Doors in Santa Monica. They said that that bathroom was where Jim Morrison um, uh, would sing in the vocal booth. But, you know, if you think about it, it's, a lot of these stories, it, it's not like the just ever said, hey, I'm Jim Morrison, or wrote his name is mm-hmm. like, how do we know these ghost stories are really originated from um, from you know the the spirit or the the, the dead spirit of, of Jim Morrison. The thing is this is kind of the tricky part of this is the story isn't about Jim Morrison then. The story really becomes about us and how we interpret this phenomena through the lens of somebody like, uh, you know, uh, a spirit like Jim Morrison or a spirit Janis Joplin, who uh, appears in, in in different stories throughout the book. So, so one of the your to the answer is a long winded answer to your question, but the one is it's really us that's going to interpret this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And then to extend your question a little farther, well, how can Jim Morrison? How can his ghost be in uh, this Mexican restaurant uh, bathroom, and also be in Albuquerque, where his spirit is said to uh, haunt his old childhood home, and his spirit also uh, is apparently haunting uh, in, in near I think it's uh, near Washington D.C. where he, he lived with his his parents uh, as a, a young man, a, a kid actually, so you really have this idea of uh, either we're interpreting this or that somehow what we understand about reality at space they, they may not be so linear and that somehow these spirits, you're not interfacing with these spirits, kind of goes beyond this real linear concept that we have that your uh, little soul, like a little puff of smoke, is probably circulating around the area where you died and it's going to stay there and it's going to be trapped. I mean, some of the, the, the theories that I read about would question that belief that, you know, but Holly stuck in Clear Lake, Iowa. Hmm. It it may be something
0: entirely different. Yeah. A couple of things. I'm sure there's been a lot of reports of strange noises coming out of bathrooms in Mexican (laughs) restaurants. Um, but, but it's, it's, Maybe there is like, you know, we're starting to, you know, in, in popular culture now everyone's dealing with multiverses, maybe that in in the land of the undead as well. They could be anywhere. It's interesting because that that building that you're talking about was on Santa Monica. I used to live right down the street. So that building, the hotel where he lived and then Barney's Beanery with all the Janis Joplin stuff, that's all in the same block. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's just like one block that has so much energy to it because of in Sunset Marquis in that area, like everything is right there. So, I yeah i did
2: cool. oh, i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead uh, i was just gonna say, i think that's
3: an interesting point that the two of you brought up you know with the ability for spirits to exist outside of what we view as normal time and space right because they're no longer confined to a mortal body so that's really cool like you guys just blew my mind a little bit and i, I <laughs> yeah i think that that's definitely a possibility
0: yeah, we look at like you said, we look at everything linear, but we don't even understand what as mortal beings what our life is or what we are, you know what I mean? And and we're trying to make assumptions for that for the afterlife or or whatever to call it.
2: Yeah, I think that um you know, I think a lot of times with um you know, with this the supernatural people kind of that um uh, you know, they sometimes they get a bad rap um that you know that they're very simplistic about you know this phenomena that they're very uh naive but a lot of what I read and you know i'm grappling with it just like you are and as I'm writing this i'm like well this doesn't make any sense so i would look for other interpretations and as you get deeper these, these people really kind of thought about it you know and you know they'll i, I don't know whether it's true or not but throw other theories in the mix.
0: I think we lost you. It's like that famous Art Bell episode. I don't know if you ever remember that when the guy calls in and then it just goes...
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, sorry about that.
0: No, it's all good. So this is all all so fascinating. I just want to, you know, take a quick second here to let everyone know, you know, this is our Halloween episode, but... I mean, you can go on Amazon right now. you got to get these books. It's Haunted Rock and Roll, The the Ghostly Tales of Music Legends um, by Matthew Swain and more Haunted Rock and Roll. Great books. I mean, they go perfectly together. And then what I found is I want number three. So is there a third one coming?
2: You know, the the material exists out there that I could do a a third. Um, You know, especially, uh, so, you know, with Prince dying, with David Bowie dying, and the rest... Uh, that we lost tragically, um, Tom Petty. Usually, what I find is um, usually there's a, a period of a of a few years where there's no reason and then they start appearing. Family members start talking about it, friends and family. And you know, I think as I was writing that, I was coming across stories about about Prince and some of those haunts, and so that was really just. That was in the second book, but that was really just sort of popping up uh, rather, rather uh, recently. So who knows what's what's out there now? I really haven't been checking every every once in a while. I, I come across it.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things like, I mean, do you? this is going to be a, a ridiculous question, but um, do you have a place that that you would like to haunt? A
2: place that I would like to haunt. Yeah,
0: because I have places like man. If I can ever be a ghost, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess these people up. I'm
1: going to that
2: yeah, Chili's. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I I would like to be. Um, I think I'd like to be at the Ryman or at Graceland with Elvis. I would. Yeah. You know, I, writing this, I just realized how much I I missed Elvis Presley. So I think I might just hang out with him at the Jungle Room.
0: Oh, nice. Awesome. That's a good spot. That's a good spot. It's funny because like, you know, one of the other famous like Harry Houdini was always famous. Like he was going to come back and give his wife this message. Um, And I wonder if because Elvis was so into not the occult, like you said, about other people, but he was he was into spiritualism as well. Like I wonder if he ever had something where he had a message for someone if he came back
2: i'm i'm sure there are stories about that and you know elvis uh claimed that graceland was haunted i mean elvis had his own kind of ghostly run-ins and later on i found that he's had a lot of uh, ufo run-ins mm. so i i have never heard of anyone you know legit saying that they had um a message from elvis so you know who knows
0: yeah well this has been fascinating um I really appreciate your time and it, it helps to, to, for me, you know, because of what's happened to me and in, in some of those places, I was so happy you, you mentioned some of those places in this book because of are things that I felt. And, you know, in the thing with Richie Valens too, like I truly believe that there's something about rock and roll that, that attracts this kind of energy. And, um, I, I don't doubt anything. I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but I hope there are ghosts and spirits. So I, uh,
2: yeah, well, I, I'm really thrilled to talk to you guys because um, it, it, it it's really become a a passion of mine, and it's and it's kind of cool to talk to people who love rock and roll and they love the history of rock and roll, and they're also open-minded. I mean, I consider myself an open-minded skeptic. Uh, I try to be very fair with the skeptical side of myself as well as the believer when I write. The, in fact. If you ask me, do you believe these stories, I probably went through believing and not believing each of those stories numerous times, uh, just debating them with myself. But uh, to have an open mind and then to kind of understand that maybe these stories don't need to be factually true, but they can reveal a truth that, that, that might surprise us. So that to me is great when I talk to people who have that, Uh, kind of rare combination of a love of music and an open mind because to this kind of idea that music is a a spiritual vehicle so it's been it's been great on my end too
0: great well matt i'm gonna i'm gonna do a reread this week because it's halloween and again everyone go to amazon or wherever you get your books and please get these books they're fantastic and it's the time of year it's always the time of year but especially now happy halloween matt
2: happy halloween Happy Halloween and happy birthday to me! Happy
0: birthday, rock and roll! Happy birthday! <laughs> so there you have it. I'm not sure if it was just normal phone interference, but I'm just—we're just going based on what he said when Damien called him back. Right. I mean, truthfully, for me, I—I I do believe in spirits. I—I I saw one, and the only reason I know it is because I was—I was working at my computer and I saw a form in like white, like a female form walk down the hallway and i just thought it was someone else in the house and the only reason i believe it is because my cat the world famous stinky tuscadero she got up and she was in that just looking around like something had just been there right so i gotta assume there was actually something there but i, I know you have a story
3: yeah yeah definitely um so there was one house in particular that i lived in 13 Whispering spring willow of course that was the name of the the address um where this house was definitely haunted and i'll just i'll get into one of the events that happened that really sold me um i got up late one night to go to the restroom um probably like two three in the morning and as i'm walking to the restroom i happen to just look into damien's room and his door's wide open and he's laying with his dick out (laughs) exactly he's laying with his head close to Uh, where the closet is right behind where his headboard is, right? But standing behind his headboard and looking down at Damien was this huge shadowy figure that, uh, not exaggerating, had to be seven, eight feet tall, looking down at him with these glowing yellow eyes and what looked like a Cheshire cat grin. So my heart sank into my stomach. I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. And I just, I looked away because I was like, my eyes are playing tricks on me. I did not really see that, right? And then I build up enough courage to look back into the room and it's gone. It's not, it's no longer standing over him. So me being the big brother I was at the time, I was like, I have to go and check his room because if something happens to him, I won't be able to live with myself. So I'm like trembling, right? I walk into his room and I'm I'm looking under the bed, like behind the bed. And then I'm like, fuck, I have to open up this closet that's right behind him. And if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be in this closet. So I slide the closet door open and peek my head in. Nothing, right? So I'm like, okay, he's, he's all right. There's nothing in here. It must have just been my eyes playing a trick on me. So I go back to bed. And then I'm telling this same story and a couple months later while I'm working at this retail store. And one of the other guys was like, oh, you mean the grinning man? And I was like, what? This thing has a name? Like, I thought it was just, like, some crazy apparition that, like, maybe my mind was playing tricks on me, and he was telling me, no, like, the, it's called the Grinning Man, and it shows up, and it coincides with with the UFO sightings, right? There's, like, usually a UFO sighting, and then the Grinning Man will appear, right? So this thing has, I've only seen it once, but I just, I wonder, like, what would have happened if if I didn't go check it out, or if I didn't see it? You know, in in progress of whatever was about to ha- happen. You know,
0: that that's crazy. I mean, there's a there's a phenomenon called the shadow people, mm-hmm. and and we all had a house, and I think a, a listener of ours, Brett Roller. hi Brett. We all stayed in the house, and there was a time where we all had a week of like sleep paralysis, where we you know wanted to scream and no one could do it. Yeah, and then there would be the same shadowy figure. I saw it above my bed, and it was at the end of my bed too. And for years, I would tell people this, and I just put it aside. And then again, listening to Art Bell on Coast to Coast, and they started talking about the shadow people. And that really, I stopped my car because I was like, wow, that's exactly what I saw. So I, it, I don't remember a grin, but it was almost similar, same height and everything, just yeah, looking just over enormous,
3: you. enormous, like shadowy figure, just, like, dark, like, almost, like, disappeared into the shadows of the room yeah but i remember the glowing eyes and like a cheshire cat grin. it was the fucking creepiest thing i've ever seen
0: yeah we don't know what's out there we don't know if we're the only beings we don't know if we're the only timeline or or any of that stuff so i mean it's fun to keep your eyes peeled. i'm the kind of guy that if i see an abandoned house i'll run in there because i just i want to you know sit down with a ghost so bad yeah but that's me anything from you damien (laughs) <laughs> I hope everyone has the best Halloween. Uh it's a great time of year. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State tomorrow. So let's go blue.
1: What I do want to say is if you haven't seen Hubie Halloween, <laughs> yes. you should spend your Halloween watching yeah. Hubie Halloween. It's on Netflix and it's a it's a instant classic for Halloween. It's a it's like the Christmas. it's like
0: uh It should be the next Christmas story.
1: It's like Christmas story for Halloween. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's absolutely pure genius. I was
1: just like holding back because I know a lot of people are going to be like, I can't believe you said that. But just watch it. it. It's got Colin
0: Quinn in there for like seven seconds. And it's amazing because it's Colin Quinn. Yeah. Just watch it. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.
1: Happy Halloween. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself.
2: Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time.
1: The wolf bit you, didn't he?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you?
0: Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not.
2: I killed Baylor. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next.